Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. We have a big show for you today, but I warn you, brace yourself because some of these stories will shock you. Wait until you hear what this mother did to her child. We have an update on the Adam Montgomery trial. The prosecutors say, how dare you ask for a change of venue in the Brian Koberger case? I'm going to give you an example of what not to do to try and get out of trouble with the police. Um, and we have sort of a philosophical question. If a teacher and a student go into a room together, but nobody talks about what happened in the room, did anything really happen? And uh, hey, why can't your pastor be your drug dealer? And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Hi, lawyer. Lawyer. All right. Good day, aficionados. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. So we weren't able to do a show last Friday, but we put up the United States Supreme Court argument the hearing that I attended on Thursday. Some people, it looks like, just didn't like it. I get it. It's not as juicy as you have in a lot of true crime type of cases. But, you know, if you're a lawyer, this is like geek out lawyer constitutional law stuff. And as I said, I had the opportunity to actually sit in the courtroom in the uh member of the bar section there at the Supreme Court. And I was probably about eight feet away from the justices. And uh, really, I wish they televised all of these Supreme Court arguments because you can really see what the justices were thinking when they weren't getting the answers from the questions that they asked. Anyway, we will move on from that, but I will just let you know as an attorney, very few attorneys ever get to the United States Supreme Court. And don't get me wrong, it's not like I was arguing in front of the Supreme Court, but they take so few cases. So for any case that you get there, I'm telling you, this was the highlight uh, of my legal career of some 29 years. Uh, the pomp, the ceremony, the circumstance of the court um, the professionalism that was there. It really makes you um, kind of redeems your faith in the legal system, so to speak, because the justices, although a lot of times you hear that they're just all political, I didn't get that. I got that they were really trying to do the right job uh, to do the correct thing under the law, not for some political reasons. So take that as uh, for what it, you, it's worth. You may think it's worth nothing, but uh, it was definitely worth it to me. All right, let's go ahead and get to the docket. So for uh, February 12th, 2024. All right, this case is going to, I think, shock you. And a mother has one job, and that is to protect her offspring. Not just us as humans, but every animal in nature protects their young. And when some mother fails to do so, okay, it's not an accident, it's, and they're not a good mom. So we have a story here of a mother in Missouri, and she's behind bars because she says that she accidentally, accidentally, 
accidentally, think about that, accidentally put her one-month-old child in the oven, which led to the child's death. Please meet Mariah Thomas. She faces first degree endangering the welfare of a child resulting in death. I think you could probably charge her with some sort of second degree murder. Anyway, the Kansas City uh, police there in Missouri responded to a home shortly before 1.30 p.m. on Friday for a report of an infant that wasn't breathing. Well, what did the cops find? Well, they found a child suffering from burns. The paramedics pronounced the infant dead at the scene, and according to the arrest affidavit, Thomas said that she was putting the child down for a nap and must have accidentally placed the infant in the oven instead of the crib. Well, the police found the baby laying in a car seat inside the living room near the front door. A witness also told the detectives that they received a call around 1 p.m. that something was wrong with the baby and that the baby needed help and that this person needed to come immediately. When that person arrived at the home, he could smell smoke and the infant was dead in the crib. The affidavit also states that the child's uh, onesie had actually melted to the diaper. Hey, I guess accidents happen, right? Accidents. Don't worry about it. No, that's that's murder, ladies and gentlemen. Murder. Obviously, we'll give the young mother of 26 years old a presumption of innocence, which everyone is entitled to. But if she's found guilty, and if the prosecutors wanted to go forward, I think they could say murder. Told you it was going to be shocking. Speaking of some other parents, uh, in New Hampshire, the Adam Montgomery trial resumed for more testimony from the prosecution's star witness. As you may recall, Adam Montgomery is accused of killing his five-year-old daughter, Harmony Montgomery, back in 2019. But on Friday, Kayla Montgomery, Adam Montgomery's estranged wife and Harmony's stepmom, testified about how Adam killed his daughter. Now, Kayla was originally uh, withholding information from the prosecutors because she said that Adam threatened to kill her if she didn't keep her mouth shut. The defense, however, argues that Kayla is the real killer here and is responsible for the death of Harmony. Defense attorneys began the morning uh, today trying to poke holes in Kayla's story, asking about the period of time when Adam, Kayla, Harmony, and Kayla's two other younger sons were living in a car, subsisting on a diet consisting of tortilla wraps, banana, peanut butter, and baby food formula. That's the time when Kayla said that Adam beat his daughter to death. Now, Kayla was asked about December 7th, 2019, the exact date that she said that Harmony passed away after Adam beat her while in the car. She was specifically asked about a trip to Burger King for food shortly after Adam had struck Harmony repeatedly. She testified that she fed her two sons food from Burger King and handed a croissant sandwich to Harmony, but never checked to see if she was actually eating their croissant. After eating, Kayla said that she and Adam went and did some drugs at a local apartment complex. Kayla said that she did not call 911 or check on Harmony's well-being at all during that time period. Kayla testified that Adam tried to kill himself soon after attempting to dismember Harmony's body, but she said she talked him out of it, telling him their two remaining children needed him. Anyway, on redirect, prosecutors asked Kayla about an argument that she had with Adam 
after he hit Harmony. She stated that he was abusive in all ways, physical, emotional, and mentally. Um, and she, she was talking about Adam at that time. He thought that I was telling on him or cheating on him or trying to kill him. He wanted me to tell him who I was cheating on him with or if I was working with the cops. He started saying I did even though I wasn't, and he just kept hitting me. Asked if she still loves Adam, Kayla replied, I still care about him because he's the father of my children. He was my best friend. It's been hard for me to just let go. When asked why she stayed with Adam, she said, because I was scared and still cared about him. She stated that she was scared of what would happen and I didn't want anybody getting in trouble. For some reason, I still cared about him. Well, the prosecutors resumed asking Kayla if uh, she was aware of something that happened during opening statements. She replied that she was. How were you aware? The defense attorneys asked. My lawyer told me, she replied. At that point, attorneys for both sides approached the bench for a conference with the judge. The uh, proceedings had yet to resume. Um, on Friday, Kayla Montgomery testified that Adam punched Harmony to death, folded her body into a duffel bag, then hit it in the trunk of his car, then a ceiling vent and a restaurant freezer while deciding how to dispose of the small body. Kayla testified that Harmony, whose body had not been found, died in a car the family was living in after getting evicted. It was the third day of Adam Montgomery's murder trial in which he hasn't been attending. Now, Kayla also said that Harmony was uh, potty trained but had begun having frequent accidents. She testified that her husband punched Harmony in the head after two such accidents in the car. He later, he later covered Harmony in a blanket as the child cried, moaned, and eventually went silent. The car broke down. Soon afterwards, Anna put Harmony's body in the duffel bag, according to Kayla. He folded her in half and put her in the duffel bag. Adam Montgomery is obviously charged with second-degree murder. Um, and witness tampering. In the opening statements Thursday, his lawyers acknowledged he was guilty of two other charges, falsifying evidence and abusing a corpse. But they said he did not kill Harmony and repeatedly suggested that Kayla was lying to protect herself. Only she knows the truth, the attorneys uh, mentioned in opening, and only she has benefited from all of the lies that she has told. The prosecutors asked Kayla to look at jurors Friday, and as she told them, she did not kill the girl. Under cross-examination, she acknowledged that she similarly looked at grand jurors in May of 2022 and falsely told them she didn't know what happened to her stepdaughter. So looking at jurors while you're lying doesn't change the lie, right? The defense attorney asked. Right, Kayla said. Remember, Kayla is serving an 18-month prison sentence after pleading guilty to perjury for lying to the grand jury about where she was when Harmony was last seen. Also under questioning by the defense, she acknowledged that uh, at least a dozen other false statements. You said the last time you saw Harmony, she was happy. You had no problem lying to the grand jury. Police didn't learn that Harmony was missing until December of 2021, nearly two years after she was last seen alive. Kayla said she put her arm up to stop her husband from hitting Harmony on December 7th, but that he gave me this look like he was evil and crazy eyes. I was scared. She also testified that her husband took her and had struck Harmony uh, after 
she saw the girl with a black eye back in July of 2019. So, ladies and gentlemen, defendant being tried, not uh, being present, very unusual. Usually the court will issue a drag order for that. Um, usually it's a critical stage of the proceeding. The defendant has an absolute right to be there. Very unusual for the court to allow that. Uh, it's kind of like being tried in absentia when you just run away, but they know where to find him. I'd say issue a drag order. Let him make him listen to the testimony so that the jury can look at him and Kayla to determine who is responsible. If they really both are. But remember, Kayla got her 18-month deal. Prosecutors say, how dare you? The Latah County Prosecuting Attorney's Office has asked the judge to schedule a jury trial for this summer in the case of Brian Koberger. A date has not yet been set, but Koberger's attorneys filed a motion last week uh, on the 31st, actually, requesting to move the trial out of Latah County. Now, the attorneys for Brian Koberger argue that a fair and impartial jury can't be found in Latah County due to the extensive inflammatory pretrial publicity allegations made about Mr. Koberger to the public by the media that will be inadmissible at trial. And given the small community, the salacious nature of the alleged crimes and the severity of the charges. Now, that was all in the motion. She wants to enlarge the jury pool um, and will have to do what they can to overcome the pervasive prejudicial publicity because Latah County does not have a large enough juror population to avoid the bias in the community. Probably right. Well, the Latah County prosecutor, Bill Thompson, responded in his motion filed late last week saying that um, the request is premature and without a sufficient basis. He notes that the defense has not provided the court with adequate information to conclude that the Latah County jury could not fairly and impartially decide the defendant's case. And the motion noted that the Idaho appellate courts look at several factors when determining whether a trial court exercised its discretion in deciding a motion to change venue. That would include affidavits indicating prejudice or an absence of prejudice in the community. Thompson also wrote that the other factors considered are whether the defendant challenged for cause any individual jurors, the nature of pretrial publicity about the case, and the duration of time between the publicity and the trial itself. And Thompson notes that, hey, because publicity is not a standalone reason for a court to change venue, this court should decline to grant the motions uh, filed by the defense, and a trial date should be set to adequately hear the facts, and decide the case. Mr. Thompson asked the court to set a trial date for a hearing on the Koberger motion for change of venue and another date be set, that being a trial date. And that will also trigger witness deadlines that need to be uh, set as well. So what does this really mean? I'm surprised. Normally, change of venues are due promptly if you think it's in the wrong venue. What does that really mean? Normally, a district court where they handle felonies is a court of statewide jurisdiction. So if you commit a murder in County A, you can say, well, yes, I've been charged in County A, but the appropriate venue for the crime is in Venue C. Move the case to Venue C. Change of venue. Crimes normally need to be charged where the crime occurred. I have a similar case like that right now, but I like the venue where the 
the matter is charged now. I would prefer that jury over the jury in venue C. It's a tactical decision. Then you have change of venue where you cannot seat a jury. We talked about this extensively over the years. Normally what takes place is that a judge will make a determination that they will not be able to seat the appropriate number of jurors. Oftentimes they wait because as we've seen in lots of high profile cases, there are lots of people that have never heard about a case or maybe have heard about it, but paid little to no attention of it. You would be surprised. A lot of people just don't follow the news. They don't want to hear bad news, so they don't follow any crime type of issues in the newspaper or on TV, let alone on Facebook or YouTube. So you're going to be able to find people that can say, yeah, I can be fair and impartial. Only if you can't seat enough jurors in a small jurisdiction, that's what needs to be done. Now, remember, in the Lori Vallow, Chad Day Bell case, they moved it because the judge said, listen, I'm moving this thing. Everybody in town knows about it. I'm basically taking judicial notice of the fact that everybody is talking about this and we're not going to get a fair trial. So they moved it up to Ada County. More than likely, that's what will take place in this particular case. I get it. The prosecutor is going to object. No, we can have a fair trial here. This is where the crime was committed. The people want to know, be able to see what takes place, etc. Chances are most people have heard about it. Chances are most people in Latah County have formed an opinion as to whether Brian Koberger is guilty. Remember, it's not just that you know about it, but that you have formed an opinion about the particular case. And if the jurors say, I am willing to listen to the evidence, reserve judgment until I hear all the evidence in the case, that I am also willing to follow the law that the court gives me in the jury instructions, they can be a fair and impartial jury. I think the case will get moved probably to Ada County, Boise, just like they did in the Lori Vallow matter. All right, next, what not to do to get out of trouble. All right, normally when you try to sweet talk your way out of a situation with a police officer, you know, you try to be nice and polite. Let's try not to do what Hannah Hayes is alleged to have done. Well, she's been charged with burglary. What is burglary, ladies and gentlemen? That's right. It's it's going into the dwelling of another with the intent to commit a crime therein. And it can be something minor, including disorderly conduct or criminal mischief, where you're going to break or damage somebody's property or endangering the welfare of a minor or third degree assault, for example, or wait, even assault on a peace officer using bodily fluids. Ooh, what is that? And bribery of a public servant. That's what she has been charged with. Now, Ms. Hayes was uh, chasing people with a knife and also banging on doors, which could cause most people to be a little bit alarmed of the situation. So when the police were called and officers arrived, they found her banging on and breaking a window on an apartment while screaming at the resident. She had a frying pan next to her when she was being detained by the police. After she was ultimately taken into custody, the officers realized she had multiple cuts on her hands and saw a blood trail leading to a different apartment. Police then said that Ms. Hayes was known to officers and she was known to also have a toddler. So the officers made entry into the apartment for a welfare check, secured the child, then followed the blood trails to a knife in the sink. Neighbors say that Ms. Hayes was apparently highly intoxicated when she started banging on the doors, demanding that this resident come outside and fight. And when the neighbor didn't come out, she said that Ms. Hayes tried to break into the apartment. Well, police took Ms. Hayes to the hospital to be checked out for her injuries, 
while there, she told the officers without uh, any prodding that I don't even care about my child. She also allegedly spit multiple uh, times at uh, emergency uh, medical uh, uh, personnel and staff, used several racial slurs, including calling a white nurse a cracker, and um, then she damaged hospital property and tried to uh, pay police to let her go by offering various sexual favors. Ms. Hayes appeared in court on Saturday and was given a $10,000 bond. She's back in court on February 19th. I hope that she behaves a little better in court next time. You know, kindness, kill them with kindness. Clearly, she's got some issues and yeah, maybe social services probably should take that child away as well. You don't want the child being put into the oven by accident, you know. It's a thing these days. All right, next question. Kind of a philosophical question, right? You know, you've heard the question asked, if a f tree falls in the forest and nobody's there to hear it, did it make any noise? Well, that's kind of like if a teacher and a student go into a room and nobody talks about what took place, did anything happen? Well, I guess we'll just have to wait for school administrators to decide. So please meet Shoshana Luffler. She is still a teacher after she resigned from a high school uh, for health careers and science last year, rather than face questions over a seven-minute mystery tryst, allegedly, that was partially cut on surveillance video. Now, investigators have concluded that the uh, woman, who's a Princeton graduate, kind of a big deal, that uh, they believe she engaged in an inappropriate relationship with the boy who should have been in class at the time when all this was taking place. So apparently the teacher and the student disappeared inside a staff bathroom with a lock, lockable door, but were interrupted after seven minutes when another staff member tried to open the door and discovered that it was locked. The pair emerged separately moments later, but were filmed together again in a stairwell the following day where Miss Luffler was recording, recorded handing him what appeared to be money, him pocketing this money and then leaving the stairwell together. Now, investigation uh, began, but no record of contact between the teacher and the student was found on their phones. And the teen's mother refused to allow the administrators uh, to have their son interviewed. Ms. Leffler refused to be questioned and um, had a uh, problem code attached to her Department of Education file, which would be seen by any other school that she might uh, try to gain employment there. I guess this is the classic case of lawyer lawyer, lawyer, keep your mouth shut. May have got fired, but you didn't lose your license. Anyway, investigators um, have passed a report to the New York State Department of Education. But like I said, she's still a teacher. Keep your mouth shut, ladies and gentlemen. I guess, I guess. Mom, not letting your kid to be interviewed? Wow. Stacks of money? Wow. Teachers are balling these days. Next on the docket. For more shocking material, let's continue. Why can't your minister, uh, your pastor, be your drug dealer? That's right. A Methodist Connecticut pastor has been accused of dealing crystal meth out of his church's rectory. Meet Herbert Miller, the Reverend Herbert Miller of the Woodbury United Methodist Church, was arrested after police were tipped off about the uh, pastor alleged side gig 
um, reminiscent of something out of Breaking Bad. The Walter White lookalike pastor was busted at the site of a purported drug deal set up by a cooperating witness who had alerted the police. Now, Mr. Miller was pulled over by state troopers in Woodbury and found to be in possession of crystal meth in both rock and liquid form in a hypodermic needle ready for injection. Now, the uh, good pastor Miller was allegedly slinging meth in exchange for watching gay couples engage in sexual activity. Allegedly. Take a look at this guy. He does look like the guy from Breaking Bad. There was no word how long the... um, good pastor, or maybe bad pastor, um, had been apparently uh, doing this little side hustle as a meth dealer. The pastor was arrested and a $10,000 bail had been set. He appears again in February of 2023. Now, apparently he was hired by the Woodbury United Methodist Church back in July. And um, needless to say, they're trying to distance themselves from uh, their association with him. His name has been taken off of the church website. But hey, why can't your pastor, who's 63, sling a little dope, right? Hey, if there are no rules, ladies and gentlemen, anything goes, right? Why not? And Mr. Miller was uh, charged with possession with intent to sell possession of a controlled substance and uh, illegal operation of a motor vehicle without the minimum insurance. Maybe if he'd sold more drugs, he could have got the insurance money. And now we have him driving around on the streets. The irony of it all. And finally today, if you didn't think that most of the uh, stories were about a dumb criminal, we've got one more for you. Please meet Garnell Gittens. Now, uh, he claimed that he had checked with uh, Christ. Yes, that Christ. Uh, and secured permission to be on the grounds of an Ohio library and therefore, well, was not trespassing. And uh, that's what uh, Mr. Gittins let the police know, that he didn't need their permission because he had the permission from the higher power, Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. Anyway, Mr. Gittins was arrested early Saturday outside the public library in Sandusky, a city about an hour outside of Cleveland. Now, Mr. Gittins was uh, using an exterior outlet to charge his phone, according to the police report, you know, like homeless people do. Anyway, Gittins, who had uh, twice previously been busted trespassing at the library, cited uh, his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when the uh, officer asked him what he was doing on the property again. Well, needless to say, this crime will not be tolerated. Mr. Gittins was charged with criminal trespass, booked into the Erie County Jail, where he remains locked up on a $1,750 bond, probably because he's homeless. Hence the reason he's using the outlet on the exterior of the building to charge his phone. We would note that uh, following an arrest back in 2023, Mr. Gittin's nickname was Cloud. Apparently he told the police he was from Canada and he had been wandering Ohio for the past year. We'll see if Mr. Gittins, uh, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, shows up as a witness at trial. My experience when uh, clients have told me that the matter was in God's hands, I have had to tell the clients that God is usually not a good co-counsel. That's really up to me once we get into the courtroom, but I appreciate any help he could offer. So we'll see if uh, Christ shows up 
at the arraignment for Mr. Gittins. All right, thanks for watching. I know, little, little, almost, almost like a WTF kind of day, but not quite there. It was getting close, getting close. Anyway, thanks for watching, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. And remember, the Constitution matters.